Hi everyone, producer Carl here. This is a bonus episode from the Garbaduma Real Estate Podcast, which Danny hosts with his business partner, James Garbutt. Alex McFadden from Thrive Mortgage and Zero to Hear episode 83 also joins the show. This episode goes over the impacts of COVID-19 on residential financing, including things like interest rates, mortgage deferrals, and tenancy rules. Check out Alex's podcast, The YVR Remo Show, if you are looking for more information. Enjoy the episode. McFadden of Thrive Mortgages, one of the most knowledgeable men in residential real estate financing. Welcome to the show, buddy. Thank you so much for uh, joining us this fine Tuesday morning. We're happy to have you, Alex. Thank you. Well, gents, thank you for having me and uh, what a kind introduction. Thank you, Denny. A lot has changed in our industry in the last couple of weeks. Have you ever seen anything like this? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> every call I make, it's like, Hey, what's, what's happened lately? What's changed lately? Well, let me look back at my last two hours. Yeah. I'll let you know. How long do you have here? Oh, I've got a solid 30, 35 minutes this morning, guys. So we've got lots of time to talk yeah. about this, but no, uh, I meant, I meant like on the of, phone when oh. clients are asking you what's changed your response is, well, <laughs> do you have a couple hours? Well, when I spoke to you one week ago and the rates dropped a half a half percent uh, since then, let me just uh, you know break down a chart of what's happened. We actually, funny enough, in that timeline have built out literally a chart and six videos to explain what's happened in the last two weeks. And we're working on a few more because it's it's quite literally uh, difficult for a lot of people to comprehend it in a phone call. So you have to visualize it, get it out to them in that, in that way. It's like if you're a, an existing variable rate mortgage, what does that mean for you? If you are a fixed rate mortgage, what does that mean for you? What if you're new? What if you're renewing? What if you're stretched out? So we've got these different categories that we're trying to address at this point. That's one of the cool things for us following you and you're kind of inspiring us is just, to to me, I see you in the residential mortgage game as the industry leader in terms of providing value and educating clients throughout all of these changes. And you're doing a phenomenal job with all of that content that you're putting out right now. Thank you, sir. Appreciate yeah, I agree. that. And, and and just to kind of recap, I was one of those guys that phoned Alex and said, "Hey, what's happening right now?" <laughs> Yesterday, and and the moment I said, "Why? Why is the, you know when the bank rate goes down, why are rates you know mortgage rates going up?" <laughs> and I love your comment. Well, I could go surface with you. This could be a couple hours of explaining it, but but I mean overall, uh, you know, aside from that convo. You have been a source of information for us. Uh, we were talking on our previous podcast prior to this is, is these are great opportunities to become that trusted authority. And when it comes to lending, um, you're spending a lot of time doing the research. You're spending, you have a podcast, you have a very active social media, Instagram. So you're putting tons of videos and podcasts out there and, and you're, you're basically providing us with updates and you've become an authority for us. So it's nice Uh, One, I think your business is going to be better for it after this because of it. But two, it's nice that we have one extra source that we that weeds through and filters through all the information that's being released and puts it out there for us in a simple way. So thanks for that, Alex. Keep it up. Appreciate you saying that. I mean, the goal, just like you and what you're doing right now with your with your podcast is there is quite literally so much information out there to. Uh, to get and there's a lot of traditional mediums and news uh, you know obviously a lot of fake news with Facebook and Instagram and what you see out there a lot of reposting of articles without an explanation as to what's going on and so my my goal is is to take a lot of the information that's out there 
and break it down to people into what do you need to know and what does it mean to you in as many different mediums as possible to get to people first and forefront. Um, you know, when we started doing video, I'd say about five or six years ago, the goal was to educate people as much as possible. I think now it's gone to not just educating, but also informing. And the purpose in starting a podcast is is partially passion, but the second part is to form, inform and educate and let people make their own decision with that advice. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think you you, you kind of struck a chord with me when we were chatting that one time and, and you mentioned your goals are measured in how many families you help or how many people you help, not how many mortgages you close. And so this is a podcast is lining up right in line with that. You're, you're adding value to people's lives. Um, and, and it's, that's the goal, you know, that the process is add value, help people and the business will come. Um, and I love that. <laughs> Appreciate you saying that guys, I know we're aligned in that space. So uh, one example of that, if you're not doing it already and, and anyone who's in the industry, who's listening to this right now, we are a heavy base purchase team, meaning uh, a large percent of the business that we do is helping people purchase homes, purchase investment properties and otherwise. So with what's gone on in the last few weeks, particularly in the last week, we have seen a notable drop in that type of business and inquiries about that type of business. And and for a lot of people that would, you know, cause a high level of concern. And don't get me wrong, there's obviously some some sidestepping that we had to do as well. But in that last two weeks, the one thing that we've noticed is by going back through our our clients, going and uh, our existing clients and the people that we've served and people that have been helping right now and having conversation with these people, they trust us very heavily and they're okay to listen to us and talk to us and hear us and they want this type of information and feedback. And I truly don't believe if we took if we took the approach of here's your mortgage, here's your rate, I got you good terms, et cetera, and then called them up and said, hey, do you want to refinance or something of that nature? They're not going to respond quite as well as if, hey, we give them a phone call after we provided with a video or a breakdown and information and had a clear conversation about how are you doing? These are the things that have happened right now. Here are the ways that we could take advantage of that. Why don't we discuss your particular situation? And having those phone calls have been uh, phenomenal. And so our business hasn't hasn't dropped. We've just changed where the business is coming from and the way that we're supporting these people. And I think that's where, again, just speaking to industry people who are in that space, whether you're a real estate agent or, or a mortgage professional or a financial planner or whatever it is that you do, is just finding different ways to focus on the value bringing to people and be intentional about it. And it, and it does come back uh, to you. Absolutely. I think that's something that you, Alex, though, in the last few years have just like, you're at a different level than, than most in our industry. Like most realtors are not providing video content, explaining how changes are happening and then following up with phone calls and finding the best outcomes for people. So I think, uh, even just you outlining that quick process of how you go about helping someone refinance or whatever that may be. I think that will be a big eye opener in terms of like what sets apart the elevated people in our industry versus the average numbers. I think I, I think that the way that people make decisions now is based on understanding information or going to the source to understand the information and then making a decision based on how they feel about that. And yeah. what I mean is, if you think about the last time, I mean, we talk about reviews and how important it is if you're booking a hotel or, I mean, we're not doing that right now, but. Uh, a flight down to Mexico and a resort, what are we doing? We're jumping on TripAdvisor, we're understanding the reviews, but more important, we're also looking at different types of parameters and comparing you know, visual elements on websites. And then we might actually pick up a phone and call someone and ask for, for advice, I mean, which is interesting because we still want to talk to a human in the way, you know, like a, 
don't want to name any companies, but there are some companies out there who still have advisors and they're still thriving in this environment. In the real estate industry, I think it's very similar, but people are slow to adapt, which is provide the information, provide the value, help people get to the source and give it to them. And then be available for when they're ready in the way that they want to be there, which is what you're doing right now with your podcast, with your videos, with your communication style is provide the information to your clients, make sure that it's, it's independent, it's unbiased, and then follow up with them to be available when they're ready to make that decision. And that's where we're going in the industry. And that's why I think that on our team, although we have had to make adjustments, although we have had to make uh, changes, we haven't had to lay anyone off. Our business volumes have not changed dramatically. And we're, we're, I hate to say it a second time, but we're thriving right now in this environment um, because we're still helping people in that same medium, right? I'll, I'll try not to plug that too many times, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> we should plug this. I mean, uh, why don't you share the name of your podcast just so people know how to stay in touch with you? Yeah, so a lot of people are having a hard time with this one. So we might Remo. end up changing it. But for now, it's called the YVR Remo Show. That's short for Real Estate and Mortgages. Uh, there's another podcast out there with a very with a similar name, so we couldn't take that one. It was it was already taken right now. But the YBR Remo Show is what it is, and where you can find it. Uh, we typically go on once a week, and our goal is to share current events similar to what you're happening, what you're referring to. But we take a, a lending based approach and advice based approach. We have had on people that are talking about you know wealth planning and investments. And hopefully we can get you guys on with boots to the ground and just take a little bit of a, a financial perspective on what's happening and break it down in easy to understand language. So if you're in the industry or outside of the industry, you can really get an understanding as to what's happening at that time without falling asleep. That's the goal. Yeah. And and I, and just to add to that, I mean, in, like for people to get a hold of you or watch what you're doing, uh, Instagram handle. I mean, I know mortgage pug, but which one do you want people to look up after this episode? So, so, so I have a fabulous team and partners. So thrive, uh, Instagram.com slash thrive mortgage co Facebook.com slash thrive mortgage co we're live on Facebook or Instagram almost every single day, along with, uh, three to five videos and content every single, uh, week. Uh, the mortgage pug, that's my previous moniker. I'll call that my personal brand. That one, uh, that's that's my brand that I've had now for a few years and my affinity for my dog and uh, making mortgages a little bit less boring. But I realized that I couldn't call my team a, a group of mortgage pugs. They just weren't into it. Some of them have pit bulls and, and French bulldogs and and we couldn't we couldn't make that rhyme very well. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> well, but you know, so as the listeners are, are going to, uh, you know, we're going to get it, dig into this and, and, you know, come up with our crystal ball of where the future is going. Um, but if you, if you're a listener and you just want to kind of ignore the noise and just have a local trusted lending source of information, um, those are, you know, great follows just Ignore everything else in the world and trust that Alex and his team are going to just give you the goods. <laughs> but let's, let's get right guy. into it. Let's get right into it. Yeah, so, Denny, let's do it. Denny, totally, where do we yeah. start? We, we let's start, start with, with interest rates. Uh, yeah. I know like there's been so many changes. So maybe just give us an update on the most recent half point deduction in the Bank of Canada rate, what that means for consumers. I think banks announced over the weekend or today or yesterday that they are following suit and lowering their prime rate as well. So let's split this up into two conversations. Okay. Let's talk about the variable rate and, and, and prime and the Bank of Canada and what's happened there. And then let's have a separate conversation about where interest rates are as a whole at today and why they went up and down. So I think the first and most important thing for people to understand is that there's there's two different uh, factors. and Well, there's hundreds of factors at play, but two overarching factors that we're going to talk about. And the first one in particular, guys, is as you are aware, uh, what we call the Bank of Canada key interest rate or 
uh, commonly known in the lending space as as prime or in the real estate world as prime. Those two items are, are those two factors are just so commonly mis like miscommunicated and confused. And uh, what we we try to do in in our space is explain who's actually impacted. So going back now, let's go back about a month ago. The Bank of Canada, with seeing what was happening with the coronavirus overseas in Italy and in China, um, and actually, if you listen to my podcast in the start of February, we talked about this. The what what happened was uh, in the financial markets uh, in the U.S. and Canada, people started pulling their investments and putting it into safe investments, such as the Bank of Canada bond yield, which ultimately is one of the levers that impacts fixed rates. Now, on the the variable rate side. We saw that this, what was going on, the bank was already forecasting or the government of Canada was already forecasting to say this could have negative implications in our economy. So they were already foreseeing this and seeing what was happening with, you know, less, less product being shipped over to Canada and, and less, uh, um, uh, I guess, basically our economy was in a little, little bit of a, a stalling place where what happened is in order to stimulate the economy, they dropped the interest rate, the key interest rate by a half percent. Now, when that happens, just to kind of bring it back, when that happens, we see banks often follow suit and that's prime. So prime dropped a half percent. So that helped everybody who was in a variable rate mortgage right away or a line of credit. Now, what's happened since then is obviously, you know, Trudeau has been speaking every single day and we've seen where things have gone since then. And we've not dropped a half percent. We've dropped another full percent in the following three weeks. So within a month, we've dropped 1.5 percent, uh, the key interest rate by the Bank of Canada, which has mean, meant that the, the banks have followed suit, which has meant that variable rates and lines of credit and everything have dropped 1.5 percent overnight. And the biggest consideration here is not necessarily just the residential consumer that's listening to this right now, but it's also for the businesses. So the, the bank is really trying to stimulate the economy and keep people borrowing as much as possible and, and getting the banks to be able to push out that money as much as they can. So that's kind of the, the breakdown, I should say, of Prime and where it's at today, guys. Does that make sense? And is that kind of well, a clear breakdown? Yeah, just to recap, sure. Prime was at 3.95 basically for all of 2019. And and yeah. now it's at 2.45. And um, mm -hmm. The the fixed rates that you – I mean, we may not have mentioned this, but say two weeks ago-ish, uh, you were doing a big push on suggesting refinancing and renewals because fixed rates were how low were they, the five-year fixed? Yeah, so we saw the fixed rates drop by almost three-quarters of a percent in a week, in a week and a half. And they went from what was typically about ranging from 2.95 to 3.29. It dropped all the way down to the low end. of The lowest we saw it hit was about 2.19 ranging on the wow. high end of 2.59 and that happened within one week that is cheap wow. money so yeah and that, that's that where that bond yield window, comes though, in. right is is that safe to say one week maybe a week and a half is how long that lasted it was open okay yeah and and i you know there is no short answer to this uh but the question i had for you yesterday was <laughs> what, why when the prime rate goes down <clears throat> are fixed rates going up and and you mentioned the cost of money uh essentially or or was that was that basically like the highest level of it or am i am i butchering that yeah no you, you're getting the right point so so prime and 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 the fixed rates aren't necessarily completely tied although you you do see them to some degree come come up and down there's um, a correlation there's of a, some sort though right to some degree what is mostly yeah. based on is the bond yield the five-year bond yield is where we no normally see fixed rates 
uh, go up or down. And so we saw that bond yield go from a, a, a bottom of, of almost like a half percent. And normally you'll see about 1.5% spread between the low end to the high end. So somewhere between one to one and a half. And, and it jumped all the way up to almost 2% overnight. And so uh, the reasons for that, again, is the gut, like there's a lot of reasons. So again, we can only go so deep here. But first and foremost, risk. The reason that rates went back up is the banks were seeing a high level of risk. How many consumers are losing their jobs or potentially going to be losing their jobs? How many people are trying to de- defer their mortgages right now? Uh, what is the risk at, that people may foreclose if the, the property market goes down and, and now they're spending their time and their energy trying to sell off properties at a loss potentially uh, and on and on and on. So risk is a big, big, big factor. And the second one is money. The banks were running out of money. Everybody and their dog was trying to refinance their mortgage to take out some equity to either have a contingency plan or consolidate their debt or renew early to take advantage of these early interest rates. And the banks don't like that. Uh, contrary to popular belief, they don't necessarily want that because they're they're churning their book, if you will. Mm. And so when they're seeing this, the other factor they're looking at here is people are now draining their bank accounts. They're spending their savings, their checking accounts, or at least they're predicting they will to make these payments, to make this rent because the EI hasn't kicked in or it's not enough money or they're focused on paying off their car loan and their other debts. And typically, that's where banks get the cheapest money to lend you. So you stick your money into your, your TD or RBC bank account, into your savings or whatever, and they're paying you maybe a half percent or less, and they're taking that money and they're lending it back to you at, at 3% above that and earning money on that. But now there's less money to draw from. So rates go up because it's uh, a shortage. So w- when, when you're saying there's less money to draw from, uh, but at this moment in time, we have all these programs of loans for businesses um, where are they drawing that from? Or, or is this getting too complicated oh, for your world? <laughs> I think we're getting deep, but, uh, I, I mean, yeah. I can only guess at this point right now, the bank has, the bank has a lot, or sorry, uh, the Canadian bank and the government has a whole heck of a lot of money stashed away yeah, and they yeah. have access to a, a large amount of capital and money that they can draw from in the world market. So they can supply those funds if necessary to small businesses. And that's what they're doing right now. And don't, uh, I mean, on, on our side as business owners or as a, as a residential uh, owner of a property or just generally someone who lives in Canada and pays taxes, we will be paying for this for the rest of our lifetime, for sure, in the, in the form of taxes. So if you're wondering where that money comes from, that's taxes. And that's where that's going to continue to go. Out. But I think to continue on your previous note about the, the prime rate, just to address that really quickly, the, the Bank of Canada's prime, you've seen the discounts like tr- for the last two years, as we saw the prime rate actually go up, we saw discounts of between prime minus 0.5 to prime minus one. So effectively half percent off to 1% off the rate that you saw for the bank. Now those discounts have all, the, all but disappeared. So today I was looking at my emails and I saw prime plus plus. So prime plus 0.1 was one of the better offerings to, uh, to you know, Scotiabank adver- advertising prime plus 0.25. Right, so we went almost a full one point two five percent swing now on the interest rates. So, so while Prime is great, it's incredible. If you're in a variable rate mortgage, like kudos, you made a good decision. Uh, stay there, don't move. But if you are looking to get a, a mortgage today, don't expect to get the same discounts you saw two weeks ago. Right. Hmm. I didn't know that. So, but, change. So, That's a good point, actually. So what I'm suggesting to my clients from a strategic standpoint right now is if someone's, if you're not, you don't have to renew today, right? And you're not in the position where you have to to make a decision today. um, I'm suggesting consider, still consider a variable rate mortgage because 
given where things are going and have gone over the last few weeks, we are likely to see another big swing down and up in the fixed rate market. And it's completely subjective to what happens in the next month. But we could see fixed rates come down again. We could also see the Bank of Canada cut prime again. So even if you do have a prime plus 0.1, if the bank cuts it again, another quarter percent, you're down just over 2% in a variable rate mortgage, which is a good place to be. One of the big differences between this market crash and the the 2008, 2009, uh, back then it was due to credit crunch, you know, the banks defaulting on loans. So they they tighten credit. Um, This time it seems like it's just... Uh, well, I mean, aside from fixed rates going up a little bit, but they're still historically very low. Uh, but it just seems like banks are throwing money out there. Is, is it is it like in terms of a credit cycle? Are are we at a state where uh, where are we? <laughs> you know, is it going to get tighter in the future, or is that is that it, could it get looser before it gets tighter? Well, I mean. James, you've been doing this for for quite some time, and and Danny, you've you've seen a, a fair amount now. So we've seen a couple of different types of cycles in 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 our space. We've also seen a series of big mortgage guidelines come in, and I won't get too deep into that in the last five years. But let's go back ten, maybe twelve years when the first quote unquote cycle hit in two thousand eight, two thousand nine, which was the first major tightening of our system after watching what happened in the U.S. We, I mean, we can't technically have the same thing happen in Canada as to what happened in the U.S. We, uh, we're, we're all, we've always been a lot tighter and we offer insurance behind mortgages to protect the lenders. But with that being said, credit is getting substantially tighter and it has been for years. So this is nothing new to me, but you know, I was just talking to a borrower yesterday who's going through the process of buying a, for a home and, and he actually hasn't applied for a new mortgage. He's just done renewals and just signed the paperwork. But, you know, I had advice from his his friend who worked with us in the past. He, he gave us a call and you wanted to look at some different solutions. And and after strategizing, we talked about the series of documentation he would need. His mind was just absolutely blown at what we needed before we can do anything. You know, it's getting to the point right now where where um, traditionally a bank uh, or a person at a bank uh, would would just input information, pull a credit report, maybe ask for one or two items and submit the file. And now the underwriting centers on our side and the bank side which the bank side is usually more more relaxed. They're asking for every document or as many documents up front before they will even touch a file. So for our business, I mean, the way that we run our business, we ask for all documents up front. That hasn't had a, any major impact, but it is having an impact across the board for other borrowers who are getting either A, declined or frustrated about the fact that banks are completely tightening up and being substantially more closed with with the money they're lending out if you know a year year ago we'd see exceptions for you know maybe their debt to income ratio was a little bit too high meaning they they couldn't you know they could get a little bit of an exception to borrow a little bit more today we're not getting those exceptions at all you know uh, a client's hasn't started their job but they're an rcmp officer sometimes you know we can get an exception where as long as they start their job right right before closing or right around that time uh, we can get them qualified. Substantially harder to get those those exceptions today. So everyone is tight right now. Mm. So banks are highly concerned about risk, even though rates are lower. The fear is default on mortgages, or, or like you know, uh, the fear is risk. It, it, I mean, as I, I think the fear it, is the unknown. To be honest with yeah. you, yeah. If you no, I don't want to spend too much time on this credit stuff. But have you uh, ever watched or, or are familiar with the Ray Dalio credit cycle video? No, I haven't seen that. Uh, that's a well. Anyone listening, Google Credit Cycle Ray Dalio. It's a it's a thirty minute video that is very helpful at explaining how that world works. Um, but anyway, right now, let's uh, Denny. 
<laughs> There's been Next more topic. changes than words. Next one. <laughs> I, I want to quickly, like, this is what we in our, obviously in the real estate side of things are getting a ton of questions on is, is mortgage deferrals and how those processes look or what even are the steps to apply for a mortgage deferral and what are the terms involved? So can you just touch on, on that? I, I've gone through personally with a couple different lenders, Westminster being one, Scotia being another. And their their programs are drastically different. So I think just understanding that each lender is going to have a different program. Applying for it is as easy as just calling and waiting on hold because the lines are extremely busy right now. Uh, but putting your name down and then you get a call back. At Scotia, or, uh, Westminster is the one I've heard back from and their program is a two-month deferral in the way of a line of credit they're setting up a line of credit for you interest free for one year and so basically your mortgage payments just go into the line of credit and you pay it off as you wish but it'll start accumulating interest after i believe it was june 1st 2021 i think just what you brought up right there just shows where things are at in regards to the deferral program these companies these banks are making up these programs on the fly this is something that they had previously and the feedback that I've received right now is that the programs are almost still changing on a daily basis where, you know, I had uh, someone I did a mortgage for two weeks ago going to co- basically self-isolation uh, or quarantine on themselves immediately. And as soon as these items were announced, reached out to their bank, the, the feedback that I received from this person day one to another person that I spoke to yesterday working with the same lender was drastically different in what they asked them to do to qualify and what they were allowing. In this case, without naming the lender, because I don't think that's important at this point, it's just, it's, it wasn't a typical bank, if you will. Um, originally, it was one, maybe two payments that can be skipped. You have to fill out a spreadsheet and you have to show that you're either A, not working or you're facing some form of financial hardship. And then yesterday, the client I spoke to said, no, now it's two, maybe three skip of payments, depending on what happens. And they just asked them to write in an email a summary of what's going on and what they were looking for. So it seems that these policies are changing almost on the fly. I've heard from people that, you know, called into Scotiabank two weeks ago where they were told only on your primary residence. And now today they're allowing it up up to four properties that you own. And it's almost black and white. You can defer for anywhere between three to six months, depending on your hardship and what happens here. And so I think... You know, you telling me about the line of credit pieces has been pretty standard. Um, I've heard that now from a few people that the credit unions in particular are focused on on in put, basically putting a second position line of credit. It's important to keep in mind they can only do that for people who have enough equity in their homes. So for people who don't have equity, they're generally people who have bought with less than 5% down. They're using a CMHC guideline, which essentially does allow up to six months for qualified applicants. So I guess the point here. Every lender has a different policy. It's not black and white. And how you're going to prepay that is going to be different. I do suggest our clients um, just consider the the advantages of doing so as opposed to going, you know, if you're somebody who bought your home two months ago at 5% down and you've lost your job, apply for it all day long. Take it if you can. You don't have an option to to sell off your property. You're probably going, going to lose money. You're you're in a position where you could, you know, have missed mortgage payments, which is not ideal, then you would want to go forward and, and apply for that right away. But if you're in a position where you're still functioning, you're still working right now, um, and uh, maybe you have some other outstanding debts like uh, car loans and other debts that you've probably needed to take care of for a long time anyways, this is where a consolidation in the short term might make more sense and you might even be declined for the program anyways. So I think it's just understanding your personal picture. But I mean, what's the worst case scenario right now? 
you're 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 basically deferring money at three percent interest, which is going to be compounded, but it's better than paying twenty percent on a credit card. The only key consideration here, and and I will just put this out there, and there's been a lot of communication on this, is will this impact your credit? Will it not? The banks are saying no, but there was a similar situation which occurred at a much smaller scale uh, in the Fort Mac uh, fires and and the whole mess that happened up there a few years ago and and uh, it did impact credit even though the lenders were saying it it wouldn't so i'm hoping that it doesn't but we'll have to wait and see so just just to kind of recap on that uh, i mean the suggestion that i'm hearing there is if you're affected by this covid situation financially great to take advantage of it if you're not as financially affected long term you're going to just pay more interest and and financially be worse off is that is that i mean obviously if you're deferring interest you're building up more um but what would be well i think you know this is where we would look at someone's personal financial situation as well like this is why we want to have a conversation right because let's put it this way a lot of the people that we've talked to that have asked about it that actually have a lot of these people are still working right now and it's kind of more of a proactive ask when we're reaching out to them they have you know credit cards like a gentleman i was talking to yesterday just running down his his account he's got eighteen thousand dollars in credit cards He's got almost $50,000 in an unsecured line of credit, and he's got a truck loan. All these uh, debts that he's paying are above 9% interest. So if he defers his, his mortgage payment right now, he's deferring a payment at 3%, but he's still having to pay all those other debts at 9 12 18% interest. So while he's working, in, in my opinion, if, it, if he has the equity, it might make more sense for him to consolidate those debts at a 3% interest rate. And then if he loses his job, he can defer it later on. Does that, does that, uh, that's something that we're looking at and recommending for a lot of people. And, and that's something that would make more financial sense. So it's a case by case scenario, really. What, what are you suggesting right now? Uh, you know, I, I totally understand your logic. If someone is coming close to do on their mortgage renewal, you know, um, or whether they're two months out or two years out, what is your suggestion right now to that individual for refinance? Or renewal. Okay, so so we're talking about somebody who's coming up for uh, renewal, right? Yeah, let's say they have a three point three percent rate, or you know, I guess it obviously depends on their current rate whether they do anything or not. Yeah, I'd say the big thing right now is given what's happening in the marketplace, I'm likely going to suggest to someone to consider the possibility of taking either a short term mortgage or a variable rate today. And if they have time, get their get their ducks in a row, get your documents in, get your application in, get your file, you know, submitted for what makes sense today. And we'll, we'll proactively watch the marketplace. But the reason I'm suggesting to consider the variable rate mortgage is because, again, we might see another drop to prime and it could be years before we see a recovery here. In addition to that, if things change, in most cases, you can lock if the fixed rates drop down, you can lock into whatever the fixed rate is at the time um that you want to convert so let's just use an example or someone dropped in today at prime plus 0.1 so they'd have 2.55 percent rate we went down a quarter percent that puts them at 2.3 tomorrow i mean that's a pretty nice place to be right let's say you know three to six months from now fixed rates drop again and we're down we're down another half percent at say 2.3 percent. if they felt like at that time they wanted to lock in they could convert at no additional cost mm -hmm. or they could switch at a low cost uh, you know, the maximum you'll prepay on a variable to get out of it is three months of interest, right? So so I'm I'm suggesting people be open to the variable rate mortgage right now because of that flexibility and because of what we're dealing with right now. If it goes on, guys, for another, what, two to three months, this could last for uh, one, two years, the economic impact of this, right? Absolutely. That's, <laughs> and I think in the US, it might be worse. <laughs> you know, that's a lot of unknowns south of the border. 
I'd love to hear yeah. from your perspective, guys, to turn it around a little bit. Yeah. What are you hearing your your buyers? What are you hearing from from them? What are they talking about when it comes to buying a home on the lending side? What are their biggest concerns and questions, and, and what kind of uh, things are they bringing up with you? I, I recently had someone who is waiting for completion. So they bought a place in January, I think completes end of April. And I got a phone call from them the other day. They bought and sold at the same time. Their biggest concern was, uh, I guess they had heard in the media a couple times that banks were pulling lending due to someone losing a job or their financial situation drastically changing in between subject removal and completion. So their biggest concern was, is my sale going to complete because I need this completion to purchase the home that we have a firm contract on? Man, that is a that is a scary proposition, isn't it? If you're in that position, totally. You totally. you've just sold your property. You've you've uh, put a deposit on the home of your dreams, and then you're in a position where you might not get it because you lose your job a week or two weeks or three weeks before funding. You know, mm -hmm. I I I've been asked that question so many times recently, and I'm glad you brought that up. I think uh, the reality is I'm hoping that most of these banks and institutions use common sense, although I can't say that they always do that. Um, you know, we, we, we did deal with a situation, uh, just under a week ago where a client did get a call back from their bank before completion. I won't name the name of the bank, but they did get a call back and the file was canceled at the bank because uh, both parties were no longer working, uh, and it didn't fit, their, didn't fit their parameters anymore. So we did have to find a backup option for this client at a higher cost, which was unfortunate. Um, since then. We did have uh, one bank in particular publicly state, and this was Scotiabank, that you know, for anybody who had their purchase complete, uh, meaning, sorry, their subject removal, and they've, they've got their conditions all accepted with the bank, uh, if they're completing before September 30th, they would use a common sense approach, and this client would still likely fund, assuming they were in a safe position beforehand. Um, so that's nice to see, and I think we'll probably see some other banks follow suit. But that deadline for that that bank was actually March 27th. Anything after March 27th, they said there are no guarantees that they would honor the system anymore. So I guess that's kind of like a warning shot out there to people to say, like, if you're in a position where you might lose your job, don't apply for a mortgage right now. Although I'm hoping that they still keep some common sense. My suggestion for anyone in this position is don't not look for a home, but just know your backup options and have them available to you just in case something happens. Totally. Now, Alex, we, how much time do we have for you? Just so we can, how much time do you have? Boys, uh, I, got, I got another 10 minutes here if you, if you want to keep okay, it going. Okay, cool. Yeah, let's keep Jamie, going. Jamie, would you prefer to chat uh, about the tenancy rule changes or go into small business stuff and uh, payment or employee let's, payment subsidies? Let's touch on the tenancy rule changes because I think that's valuable okay. for people that even if it's not necessarily Alex's world, let's just touch on that. So, Danny, how about totally. you? So my understanding from last week's announcement was that basically landlords for most reasons can not evict or provide notice to end tenancy in the next foreseeable future until this health concern is, is passed. So what that means for someone who owns an investment property or has a basement suite in their home who is thinking of selling or is currently on the market is that you can no longer provide vacant tenancy in the next few months anyway until this passes. Have you had much info on this, Alex? You know, uh, guys, I just got the announcement and I was looking through it yesterday. I haven't dug in really deep uh, as to where that's going to go, but I was actually, and I don't tune in a lot to the general news stations, but I was uh, this morning. Um, and what I was watching was an article where the renters union or a tenancy union, I'm not sure the name of it, 
was actually asking that the government step in, in the BC government steps in and eliminates rental requirements altogether. Now, I, I feel like that's, that's a heck of a lot bigger than the BC government. And that goes a lot bigger than, than any of us at this point right now. I, I know you gentlemen have investment properties or rental properties, and, and so do I. And uh, we're, we're very fortunate in the position we're in, but I can't imagine that going on for uh, two to three months for many of the clients that we have who are landlords. And many of them, you know, even if, with a basement suite, they need that to make their own ends meet. So that would have such a, a domino effect. I, I, I don't even know what the outcome would be at this point right now. I think it's a wait and see approach. We're approaching the first yeah. month where rent is due April 1st. And I think we're going to find out in a week or two weeks what this is going to look like. Mm -hmm. I think. Are you hearing more, anything different on your side? I hadn't heard that. So they're basically that conversation that you listened to was basically saying renters don't need to pay rent for the foreseeable future. That's what they're suggesting. Wow. Interesting. Uh, yeah, that would, uh, that would absolutely have an effect on <laughs> tons and tons of people. Oh, there's yeah. a lot of yeah. news these days. <laughs> Early days, it's hard to kind of comment on. I mean, some people are going to be in a real, like landlords are going to be in a real tough situation. Some tenants are not affected by this. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. Um, it, but it, the, the fact is that we're in a, a world where people are affected differently and we're in the very early days of this and this could frustrate some real estate deals you know if, mm -hmm. if there's some deals that went solid or firmed up in the past few months that had tenants in place and required vacant possession what happens there so as long as wow. notice has been provided that's the way that i heard it as long as notice has been provided as of the announcement which was last week sometime uh it still stands but moving forward like if you're currently on the market uh, with an investment property, you have a tenant in there. You, I, I think that's why I wanted to just bring it up is that uh, make sure you understand that you could potentially be in a tricky situation and not be able to provide vacant tenancy. Well, so I was talking to someone yesterday, an agent a friend of mine who who was in a position where this property was accepted offer, had an accepted offer months ago, uh, and the, the tenant is flat out refusing to move out today. Uh, and uh, I, I didn't get too deep on it, but at this point right now, that person's refusing to move out and tenancy, I guess the government or whoever's uh, looking after having these conversations with them at this point is agreeing with the, the tenant and not with the, with the purchaser of the property. They have to, they, they cannot evict them right now. It's, so these uh, people are not moving out and there's no way to evict them. And there's no, no way around that at this point right now. That's tough. Yeah. It's, it's the residential tenancy board that I, I, I think most that, that, you know, mostly protects the tenants in this situation. And, you know, obviously in times like this, there's probably a lot of people vulnerable. So I get the intent there. It's just unfortunate if people take advantage of this that aren't affected by what's happening right now. And that, that will probably happen as well. That's what I think is going to happen. And you know, yeah. you know, the thing about this that I find interesting and you, and you guys can definitely uh, help chime in on these points is most of the people that we see are not big, giant, you know, multi, multi apartment building landlords, most of them are pop and shop, uh, you know, owners of, of a few residential mm -hmm. properties trying to make their own ends meet and, and build their financial future that are getting negatively affected by this. Right. I mean, and, and most of the guys that, that we work with and, and ladies who we work with, who, who own these properties, uh, are just trying to do good for, by, by their tenants. They're trying to offer all solutions. They're reducing the rent when necessary. 
Um, they're trying to help out. And thankfully, it appears common sense is playing out in a lot of these situations. Uh, but for how long is my question? At what point does a tenant just get frustrated and, and, and do something unfortunate or, or, uh, or, or anything of that nature? And I think we need uh, what, what I'd like to see is the, the common sense approach from both parties, not just the residential tenancy board, but uh, to protect the tenant, but also protect the landlord, remembering that these are, are in most circumstances working, uh, working people as well, trying to, to earn uh, an income, but also trying to house people. And I think that's where personally I get frustrated a little bit watching and listening when we see such a bias to say only, only the tenant can benefit this, but not the landlord. And what are we doing for them to help them? Right. And I think that's why having the, the $500 or whatever the sum is makes sense for the time being, because then at least the landlord has the ability to take a portion of that rent and cover their cost. Because we have to keep in mind, there's still strata fees, there's still taxes they're going to have to pay. And in many circumstances, 500 bucks won't even cover both of those, right? Mm-hmm. So it, yeah. it'll be curious to see, in my opinion, what, what happens in 30, 60 or 90 days. That's when we're going to see things get interesting. Especially not knowing whether, first of all, if investment properties qualify for the mortgage deferral, but how long is it going to take for those deferrals to actually kick in? So like, if a landlord has to float a mortgage and property tax and strata fee for even t- like one to two months, it can be it can be very difficult on a lot of people. Yeah, I, I can't imagine what that's going to look like. And I think we're going to see a lot more uh, come out in the next one, two, three weeks when it comes to these deferrals. And I'm hoping to see some other options from the landlord side of things. Uh, very difficult to advise our investment clients with so much unknown right now. Uh, but we're just trying to pe- uh, preach patience and common sense with your tenants and just recognize that everybody's going through a hard time and we need to work through this together. Sure. You know, one other thing I'll just add to this is when you think of like the condo investor landlord, and a lot of times they're just regular people stretching themselves to get an investment. But when you think of the typical condo landlord, they're now dealing with insurance uh, crisis. They're dealing with uh, stronger tenancy rules. I mean, it's with all the things that have happened in the last little while, it, it leads me to believe that that's a less appealing investment moving forward. Um, so it may impact the, the, the appeal of buying your typical condo investment in the short term until things change. Well, this coupled with what's happening with the property insurance, don't forget about that. I got an email yesterday from a from a landlord who owns multiple properties in in a building where uh, we're having those insurance issues come back again. Those uh, yeah. those uh, testy little insurance problems that we've seen, where the insurance is not not going to be enough to cover their costs. So so this this all together could be an interesting proposition. So that's going to do. Who knows what that looks like, guys? You tell me. Is that is that going to reduce condo prices? Is that going to uh, reduce rental uh, properties. Like in general, if if we don't have mom and pops uh, uh, purchasing, you know, two or three condos to rent out, does that mean where our rental supply is now reduced as well? Because then then rental rates go back up again. So what does that look like? Well, I, you know, I definitely want to get into predictions here soon, Alex. I want to. <laughs> that's that's where we're going to roll into. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, w- b- before we get into the predictions of what that's looking like, I, I think I'll share one like interesting comment because I saw a note from like a counselor in New West. And when you see, um, you know, when you see what governments are doing to kind of reduce people's bills, uh, this friend of mine uh, in this note uh, mentioned that like you know cities like New Westminster uh, can't, uh, you know waive people's property taxes or they'll go bankrupt you know so they there's certain like burnaby very financially strong city so every city's in a different situation but a lot of cities 
can't do much to help the people. Like, so on a city level, there's not much that can happen. Um, but uh, I just wanted to add that because I thought, you know, when you see what government's That's doing, thought, oh, let's, no. let's, let's see what the city's going to throw in as well, but they can't do much. Otherwise they'll go bankrupt. Well, let, yeah. I'd love to roll into predictions here while we have you for a few more minutes here. So, yeah. you know, when you're looking at all the factors um, in your world of lending, when you look at all the factors that are going against the real estate market, and you look at all the factors that uh, are going, well, sorry, against the real estate market in terms of prices going down and, and the, um, the forces that would cause prices to go up, you know, where, where is your head at with the real estate market in, say, late summer, fall, maybe this time next year? What, what are you thinking right now, Alex? So I think, obviously, we have to put a little asterisk in there and say that it's going to be subjective <laughs> how long this this uh, all, lots of asterisks. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw asterisks all over the place along here because it's gonna depend a lot on what happens going forward and how long this lasts. If this lasts for another 30 days, I think I think we see uh, a little bit of a waiting time where where maybe uh, we have some people trying to offload properties and prices are relatively low, and then we see people jump right back in. Uh, people have a short memory in a lot of situations, especially when they have to move, because for a lot of a lot of people, moving is 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 not a a choice, but also a, a, a something they have to do, right? So we're going to see uh, real estate likely, I would say, a little bit of a drop and then a, a hockey stick right back up if if it doesn't last long. If we're yeah. talking about three to six months, your guess is as good as mine. Um, it could take a lot longer for people to jump back in. It's going to, you know, interest rates are, are at artificial lows and we're not seeing that, that pump any juice into the market right now. So what does that mean if they stay low going forward? Do people just think this is the new norm and it doesn't get them excited? Um, you know, are, are we seeing people have to foreclose and, and who's taking advantage of that or, or not taking advantage of that? I quite literally don't know that I have a prediction for three to six months down the road if it takes that long uh, for things to normalize. Um, you know, I, it would be more likely that we would see a kind of a slow growth state, in my opinion, just my opinion, because I think people would be just shy. Uh, to make a decision because we'd be back to what was it 2018 if i can recall uh to jumping into 2019 where things were in a wait and see approach let's just see what happens let's just see what happens let's just see what happens and then end of 2019 people are like okay it's been a year it's been a year and a half let's do this now we know what's going to happen we know where we're at could we see another six to 12 months of that what do you guys think well, here, let me share my my thoughts because I put a few predictions out there. And it's more it's probably more appropriate to just call it a guess because you know it is a what if situation. But the number one thing that I look at when I'm when I'm kind of putting my thoughts out there is supply and demand. And on a macro level, like on the highest level, real estate market will be affected by this. But um, there are many markets in real estate, and if you put them all into one category, you're including you know West Vancouver, ten million dollar homes with a five hundred thousand dollar two bedroom condos on the SkyTrain line. So when I look at the products that we often sell, you know, the typical condos and, and entry level homes, um, that supply and demand line is very different than what I think is on a macro level across Canada. And, and so when I'm looking at the forces that cause prices to go up, uh, well, one, our market was trending upward prior to this. Two, we have low interest rates. Um, even for first-time buyers, the stress test has been alleviated a little bit. Um, and, and we're coming off a very slow year. So there should be, when I look at the supply and demand curve, I, I feel that the demand is at a level that is, you know, last March uh, was the lo slowest March in 33 years. And so this March with COVID is probably, I, I don't know the latest stats, but probably not much worse or, or even maybe even better. Um, but the, the demand 
due to low interest rates, due to people not buying last year, due to the thought that in our markets, I'm feeling that there's a lot of people that want to either buy their first home or upgrade. There's people not living where they want to live. That's what I feel is going to hold the market. And also the fact that our international dollar has gone uh, down. So in theory, like the value of a million dollar home on in US funds has gone down 10% in the last few months. So if you're selling a million dollar home today on international US money, that's now a $900,000 home. So arguably, we've already been hit from outside markets. So, you know, when you look at the potential of, you know, foreign investors coming in, recognizing that, um, Vancouver looking like an appealing city in a, in a pandemic, um, those are some positives that, that could it, it keep the demand high. But on the supply side, uh, you know, what's going against that fear? Um, you know, people, if people see this uh, job loss, uh, how many businesses are not going to return? How many people are not going to get their jobs back? Uh, you know, how are debt levels going to look? How many defaults are going to happen? And if the supply loosens up, I feel that it probably won't loosen up in the next three to six months. Maybe it does in six months. Maybe the falls loose and supply outweighs demand. But I feel that like the, when I look at the all the factors that are pushing both ways, in supply and demand, the, the, the demand's still there in the short term. And and so I, I think if we're going to see sort of a downturn in the real estate market, like in the on the macro level, it might happen right away. But on the micro level of our market, it may never happen or it, it'll probably lag a little bit. And it will probably lag and it, it'll happen after a, a few months. My thought is because the economy's gotten significantly worse and fears there and the seller supply loosens up. So anyway, that's my rant. But when I'm saying that, what comes to mind for you? <laughs> Man, I'll, I'll, I, that was good. That was really good. That was really interesting to listen to. And I think you, you, the, uh, the outside um, factors you, really well explained, in, in my opinion, uh, just understanding what you're referring to in the outside money coming to Canada. We also have to keep in mind that this uh, "Quote unquote pandemic is hitting the U.S. a lot more, so it could it could lead to a lot of our our U.S. Uh, counterparts wanting to move back to Canada or or own in Canada, which is considered maybe safer after this. You're right, um, man. There there are so many factors to consider. I think we could probably chat about this one for for an hour and a half. <laughs> well, I, I, we don't have much of your time left, but I, I would be curious to know your thoughts on uh, on defaults. Like, you know, when I'm when I'm mm -hmm. looking at uh, what could cause the market to get much worse? And, and to me, mm -hmm. it would be a loosened supply, which often can cause by, you know, defaults on loans mm -hmm. or, um, or fear, you know, so mm -hmm. fear due to job loss and poor economy or like fear, job loss, poor economy. And then that coupled with defaults on loans. Do you feel that there's going to be a wave of, um, higher risk loan default? period coming up in the future? Because I, I remember, I think when people were buying in 2016, 2017, some people were saying, oh, 2021 is the year where those mortgages come due and people are going to be in trouble. Um, are there any sort of periods of time coming up that could trigger more default? I think this is going to push it back a little bit, what's happening right now. And I think um, this this is awful timing from that perspective as well, because the government was set to announce different stress tests for potentially renewals, people who are renewing. Uh, as well as obviously buyers getting to the market, which were both pushed back and are not on the table right now. So just in case anybody's wondering, the stress tests have that were announced about a month and a half ago that we're going to loosen some rules have been pushed back. We don't know when those will be reannounced. I'm having conversations like this. Ja Jamie, thank you for asking. It's a good question. I'm having conversations like this from borrowers uh, left, right and center right now who are up for renewal this year or next year who did not have the stress test back uh, at least you know when they were putting down 20% or more or the refinance trust test were not in place in 2016 
or the you know the first half of 2017 uh, when they got their last mortgage. And I do certainly believe we will see some negative implications, especially if these people are looking to consolidate debts uh, and they're shocked by the fact that needing to qualify at a higher uh, cost of borrowing um, at two percent above the interest rate in order to to get this refinance to consolidate this debt. It's not as easy as it used to be, and this is already shocking people right now on a daily basis, especially as lenders are tightening up and some credit unions and other lenders are starting to shutter their doors for the short term. So yes, this will have an impact. What we're also seeing on the private lending side is uh, obviously private lenders who are usually the backup plan for a lot of people. Um, you know you, you know some big names out there like your Alpine Credits and, and, and Capital Direct and there's many small names. I mean, our, our company works with some, some direct capital lenders as well. Um, some of these lenders are actually pulling back uh, what would be considered to be their loan to value. Uh, in anticipation that we will see property values decrease and they don't want to be caught like they were a few years ago with property values being so high. In addition to that, the investors, the people who are investing in the mortgage funds are also getting nervous and emotional and they're pulling their money. So a reduced amount of funds is going to potentially increase the cost and reduce the backup options for people. So yeah, we, we might see a heightened amount of, of defaults. Again, uh, Jamie, I think mm. this really just depends on how long this goes on for, but um, my biggest hope for optimism, uh, opti optimism is that this only lasts a few months, two to three months, and, and we can move on in a relatively short amount of time. Uh, my biggest fear is this lasts for six months. And, and like you mentioned, job loss is extreme. And I, I think there's a lot of jobs that aren't going to be hired back personally. Oh, I, I can agree with that. I, I, you know, I know a number of entrepreneurs and business owners that have been affected by this, particularly in hospitality and events. And uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if certain people change careers after this. I, no you know, there's certain industries that are clearly exposed to pandemics. <laughs> and, and when you look at how hard the like catering companies work or, or restaurants work to make a buck, I mean, is it worth it when you can lose everything after a six month pandemic, you know, <laughs> um, anyway, uh, I, I know we don't have <laughs> no, much more time to anything, anything else you want to add there? No, I think we can let Alex go. That was honestly, Alex, that was really great. Thank you uh, again very much for taking the time to do this. Continue with your content game because as we mentioned early, uh, we are getting a lot of value out of it. So I'm sure there are tons of other people that are uh, following along every day, even if they don't say anything to you. Gentlemen, yeah, I really thanks, appreciate Alex. you both having me on. Thank you for doing what you do out there. It's it's uh, refreshing and uh, love following along what you guys are doing. So I hope everybody listening to this, uh, make sure to subscribe to your channels and stays, stays tuned as we watch your, uh, your uh, quote unquote adventures. <laughs> Keep up with the fun photos too, boys. All right, gentlemen, thank you so much for having me on and uh, we'll, we'll be in touch very soon, I'm sure. Amazing. Cheers, Alex. That's a wrap, Thank you. <laughs>